Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty, and today we have with us, I'm very excited, I met her down at the Altercation Comedy Festival. It's Virginia Jones. Hello. Hello. Hey. I just want to open by saying you're the coolest. The theme song is the coolest. <laughs> Riot Girl is the coolest. I'm so glad to be uh, on a podcast with just the coolest lady. Oh man, I'm already blushing. Okay. <laughs> well, so cool. Six. Thank you. Oh, you are my first guest that has actually recognized that it is Slant Six. And that is so exciting. I loved them as a teen and actually wrote to a couple of the members trying to track down if I could use the song. And then I finally got through, I think it was um, the drummer. And she was like, why do you want to use this? Like, <laughs> she just seems so like, oh, that was like so long ago. It's like, I love that song. And it's a perfect fit. And she was like, whatever. Um, awesome. Too cool for school, even decades later, which I love. <laughs> so Virginia, why don't you tell the people a little bit about you, who you are, what you do? Uh, hi, I am a stand-up comedian in the Los Angeles area. Um Comedically, I come from Portland, like I'm a Portland comic, but then I've been here almost as long as I was there. So it's getting to be a weird friction point. Um, but I'm obsessed with TikTok. Uh, I identify as Gothic American. I have a, a an album that's a couple of years out called Gothic American that Spotify keeps taking down in the United States. Uh, oh, because of the big spoken giant thing. Oh. Um, and they're like just taking off all and like they keep sending me stuff. They're like, hey, it's the end of the year. Thanks for being a Spotify artist. I'm like, well, I barely am. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's findable on on Apple and uh, Bandcamp and, and all kinds of places. And um, I run a website called bedinia.com that has just a whole lot about me. A hashtag about me. Hashtag goth. Nice. hashtag hi there <laughs> i love i love the goth that's fantastic uh, i'm curious moving from portland to la what made you want to make the jump and how do you feel like the scenes are different when i moved from portland to la it was because i i felt like i had i worked both clubs in portland i had done a lot of road work in portland in retrospect i was out on the road way too early but that's just how it goes in that environment uh they're like well you've you've been doing it for three years and you can get through 30 minutes without um using the f-bomb uh and uh and i was just like well i'm ready i'm ready to do the next thing and um a lot of people, especially now that there's so many venues for comedy, there's a lot of like, oh, you don't have to move anywhere in particular. And you don't. But if you leave your home scene and you move to one of the big environments, I know you did Chicago, it will make you better. Mm. Like it, it can't help but make you better because it, it you're with people who are competing and working their very hardest and like i love portland comedy but every time like the people who i know from when i started have either quit or moved away and the people who hang around are doing like 10 year old jokes and like they're just not being pushed in the same way and so mm -hmm. 
it's very, I don't know, it's very funny to me because when I moved here, I was like six years in and I was like, this is, I'm, I'm complete. I'm a finished comedy product. Now I just want to sell the product. And, uh, and my act has gotten so much weirder since then. Like, uh, it's, it's very funny to me that I was such a baby and going like, I'm pretty much done. <laughs> that is so funny. I had the exact feeling of like thinking back about when you're two years in versus five years and now I'm approaching 10 years and it's like at 10 years, I feel like I don't know anything <laughs> like, but like <laughs> the confidence at two years in was like, oh, oh God. it was magnificent. <laughs> I was just doing I was just doing a show with some comics that obviously I hadn't seen for a while. And um, I was talking to them about a friend of mine on TikTok who started doing comedy and like before his first open mic, like he asked me questions and I'm like, oh, here's all my opinions. And so he's like a couple, maybe six months in and he gives me a little updates. He's like, oh, I'm doing my first book show. I'm doing my first page show. And I was talking to the other comics. I'm like, I would give anything to be in that spot again, like mm -hmm. that you you're learning something every time. And, and like, like you can see yourself progress like week upon week and month upon month. And you do think, you know, everything because the little idiots at the back of the room have been telling you, you got to get on the grind, man. You got to fucking just like eat a burrito and fucking hit five mics. And like you, and you realize later, like, Oh, they didn't know anything. They'd been doing comedy like two minutes more than me. But at the time they're like, you're like, they have the answers because one time they opened for uh, Molly McGuire, the chuckle hut or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> so ah, confident. My career. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh man. What you say really resonates about just being in a big scene and being inspired by so many people. Like I started in Chicago and then almost five years ago now moved home to Green Bay Wisconsin, uh, not not a huge comedy scene, you know, as not everyone yet. knows. Yeah. <laughs> and like, sometimes I do get nervous, like, will I still be a comedian in five years? Like, because now it's like I write a new joke maybe every two months, you know. <laughs> but, you know, if I like to think I just have a different, a different path than other people, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you, you may be operating a different path, a different speed. The gifts you take from comedy, you may employ somewhere else. And that's all okay as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I had a big philosophy break during COVID and, and said, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to be a club comic. I don't think I'm going to be like we were talking about before the podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to be someone who's going to appeal to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I no longer think it's my job, you know, and mm -hmm. that's okay as well. Yeah. That's really I'm, freeing. I'm, I'm, I'm re I'm relooking. I'm, I'm reexamining a lot of the wisdom that I received when I was very new and that I just internalized. And I'm finding that a lot of it doesn't, doesn't work for me. Yeah. That's really exciting. And I love like the confidence and vulnerability to be in that place. And just mm -hmm. like, I always think of um, the never ending story where you walk through the hall of mirrors and it's like the real you like, yes, <laughs> I love yeah. those moments. The la My last thought just during the pandemic, I think it was such a mind F for so many people, especially people who maybe in LA were like, mostly doing open mics because when the open mics closed and the shows closed, we all had an identity crisis 
because mm-hmm. if I'm not doing comedy, but I'm a comic, like what am I? And if you're not necessarily getting booked on Zoom shows or like doing other projects, like what am I? And that's a hard, and everybody has to go through that hall of mirrors. Everybody yeah. has to. So what do you think you found like through all that reflection and, um, you know, that space to, to kind of internally look? Not to get too far up my own butt, which Let's is where I live. Um, I really think that I've come out of it with a stronger understanding of, of who I am and what I want to do and what comedy is to me. And, um, and I just keep doing it. Like I, uh, it's, it's been a weird week of going to a lot of holiday parties and having normal people ask me, oh, you've been doing comedy 17 years. Do you have a special? And they mean it as a compliment. And I'm like, oh no, no, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to mislead you. I am unsuccessful. (laughs) Like I, if, (laughs) if, if, if the success thing is like having the industry pick me up and polish me and put me on a shelf and say, this is it. I've never been that person, but I am more and more sure about what my voice is and what my act is and what I want to say. And if, if, if what I want in comedy is to write and express myself and entertain people, then I'm doing it. And I've already achieved, like, how can you pin your happiness on something over which you have no control? That's too deep. We've gotten too deep and I'm going to back away, but like, that's my real opinion. You can't say, Hey, I will only be happy if I am on the, at the improv every night, or if I have an HBO special or like, you know, if I'm on this late night show or, 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 because you can't control that. And that means you're going to be unhappy until that happens. Just, you can only control yourself and your work. Yeah, absolutely. I love that opinion. I find it very beautiful. And like, um, it also reinforces the beauty of the work of comedy and just, you know, doing it for the sake of the art form. I feel like I need to do an album, but then, you know, I'm most happy when I'm just doing 10 little or 10 minute sets and talking about things that are very of the moment and having fun exploring topics with uh, a group and creating a sense of community, you know, like building consensus is, I think, the most fun and exciting part of being on stage. So I love that. That's your definition of, you know, what you're doing in comedy. I greatly relate. I also want to do, I want to do a second album, but I will tell you what an album did for me. And I think that I I approach it a little differently. Like I had been doing sets, especially when I did a long set, I was doing jokes that were 10 years old, but I felt that I had to do them because they were so worked and they were so complete. And I felt like I was like robbing the audience of something if I didn't do them, but they were old and it was time like, but like doing it on an album and like having that thing enabled me to move on. Mm. I'm not that interactive. I'm not building a consensus. If anything, I'm dictating my own opinions, but yeah, that's, that's what it did for me is like, it's nice to have a document. This is a time. And now I can, and now I'm free and I can build more things. Mm. Mm. That's compelling too. Yeah. I feel like I need to get to a place where I am ready to give up those jokes (laughs) and I am coming up on 10 years. So maybe it is. Maybe that's the time. Yeah. Okay. So this um, episode is going to come out either New Year's Day or January 2nd. So in that theme, I'm curious, um, you know, what was your highlight of 2022? Oh, wow. Gosh, you know, I've been thinking of New Year's as being more like, what are my goals for next year? I must say, I haven't done much reflection over last year. Um, 
Yeah, I kind of felt like I'm done with it. Be done. Yes, I'm done with it. Um, I mean, altercation was super fun. I had some fun shows. I don't know. I did a brunch show opening for Maria Bamford at like 10 a.m. on a Sunday that was really fantastic and like packing or like performing to a packed room with her um with her audience who who is so engaging and and engaged um but no i don't i don't know i don't know what my high point is um those all sound great it's just kind of doing it just oh here's a numbers thing i'm almost at twenty thousand followers on tiktok and that's hell yeah that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna put on my gravestone because that's what my worth is as a person awesome (laughs) very excited to see the death of twitter because i was never good at it you know, I I love Twitter since that man has taken over. I've lost yeah. um 50 to 100 followers and my engagement's way down and yeah. man, this billionaire is really tanking it for me. But I'm excited yeah. to check out your TikTok presence. I don't really make videos on TikTok, but I love to stare at it for hours. So Yay! I'll definitely check it out. So, Virginia, I'm curious. How do you feel about horror overall? What do you? How do you feel about horror movies being a goth? I think I know the answer. But. Well, here's the thing. I have a complicated relationship with it because my pat answer is I don't like it. It's scary. Oh no. And then and then people say, oh, but you're a goth. You're not allowed to. And what? But what I think. But I was looking at lists of horror movies, and the fact is that I will watch any vampire movie, and a lot of my favorite movies are vampire movies. I am a. But like, what I don't like is gore. Mm. um so i like a brainy i don't like you know i i I love silence of the lambs i love those fast zombie movies i love Shaun of the dead and and what we do in the shadows i love comedy horror yes um but i can't handle gore and i don't like a jump scare and i don't like i don't like the kind of trope movies even though they're well done they're just not for me but like yeah I, um i say i don't like horror i really do love it but i'm real specific i saw i just gotta um, go back it, to one question you like yes. fast zombies but not the slow zombies is that correct maybe not the slow zombies maybe not the slow zombies um but yeah i love 28 days later and oh, okay. um uh, and I love all kinds of vampires, even vampires that aren't really vampires like Crimson Peak. Uh, and I love Guillermo del Toro. Oh, super yes. into that stuff. Um, but I I did a show recently that Sam Hale does in town and it's a horror themed comedy show. And like, and she was like, you just have to talk about like, do one joke that's about horror. And then they handed me a slip of paper and it was like uh, American Horror Story. I was supposed to just talk about it. I'm like, I am too scared of American Horror Story. I watched half of the first episode and it was like child endangerment and I had to check out and like um uh I'm 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 too scared of horror the last like the last really scary movie that really messed me up I saw a green room where Captain Picard is a spoiler alert a a meth dealing uh uh white supremacist and it was so visceral and I, I, my friend asked me to see it with him and I said, yes, cause I wanted to be cool. Okay. Um, and then afterwards I just stood vibrating in my kitchen. Like I saw get out, but I haven't seen any other, uh, uh, uh Jordan Peele movies. Cause I'm sure they're great, but they just seem too scary to me. Oh, gotcha. Well, um, I'm an I adult got- baby. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of people I have on the podcast have the same 
same feeling about horror, which is why I like to ask, you know, what personally do you really, really like and what movies mm-hmm. move you? Uh, so I, I am curious, what is the first horror movie you remember seeing as a kid? Did it potentially scar you? <laughs> now, I saw like a piece of Jaws when I was way too little. And I was and I remember that was terrifying. And uh, and I've never watched Jaws. Oh, yeah. The first movie I saw that I meant to see and saw the way through uh, was Hellraiser. Ooh, um because i was a goth <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and so um but like right in a row like hellraiser uh but also the lost boys and the hunger and all these great like 80s vampire movies oh yeah um uh i watched all of those um and the hunger hundreds of times you know at least the first 15 minutes because that was Bauhaus doing susan's dead so much amazing amazing so much um and then uh also um well not just Catherine Deneuve but his first victim in the movie is uh oh she was in bong water and she's so good and I can't remember her name right now but she was awesome um she was in making Mr. Right um Hmm. I've messed it up because I really really like her uh and I can't remember her name because I have a microphone in front of me but uh yeah um but yeah, Hellraiser, in retrospect, even the beginning part where a man cuts his the back of his hand on a nail, I Ooh. remember it with my body. It's too <laughs> gross, too gross. Body horror, anything leaking. Like, I'm obsessed with the television show Supernatural, the good, bad horror television show. And the way they always do the gore is like, you see a shadow of a knife, and then a spatter of blood on the wall. And that's about all I can take. Okay. That's, so some PG vibes. <laughs> I love a good PG vibe, babe. <laughs> I like that too. I like, um, you know, a director leaving you more to think about the uh, mm-hmm. what it could be than spelling it out for you directly. Right. You don't have to make it in front of me. Um, we, we, we just watched Glass Onion for the second time. I love that and movie. So much fun. And then all billionaires and, are bad. <laughs> hashtag all billionaires are bad. And uh, and then we went on a bit of a Ryan Johnson like tear. And my boyfriend showed me Looper, which I had never seen, which is very good, but they kill kids in it. But like you never see it. But you know that a kid like spoiler alert if you're not into kid killing if you're not into bruce willis deciding this is justified i'm gonna kill it's it's the would you kill baby hitler problem right he's going back to solve a problem but that involves blowing a four-year-old away not a lot of people can do it um but yeah that (laughs) that even though it wasn't visceral it still bothered me and i'm like oh a little less a little less of that please Yeah, that sounds intense. Wow. It was intense. It was good. It was very good, but it was intense. To check it out. I have not seen Looper. Uh, For us to talk about today, Virginia has chosen an American werewolf in London, which if you remember about a year or so back, we had Whitney Wasson on to discuss, uh, which was a great conversation. So you can check that episode out too and compare and contrast and everybody's take on American werewolf in London. So, I should have known someone else would have done American Werewolf in London. 
You know, I feel like as long as it's over a year in um, separation, everybody has a different take. So I'm not I don't want to limit people's choices on their favorite movie, you know, to say like, no, that's not you can't do that one. Um, But yeah, for um, those of you who know Bloody Mary, you know, we go full spoiler. So if you have not seen this movie from 1981, I don't know what you're doing with your life, um, but it's the story of Jack and David on, uh, I assume, post-high school, post-college feels like post feels like post-high school trip, even though yeah. they're both clearly too adult. Yeah, very adult men posing as high schoolers, Hollywood's favorite thing. Um, mm-hmm. So they are backpacking through England on vacation, uh, and then werewolf strikes. So, Virginia, why did you choose this movie? This is... One of my favorite horror movies, it might be my favorite horror movie because it is equal parts kind of thrillery and horror and scary, but also very, very funny. And um, I recently saw it. It's fresh on my mind because I recently had um, two friends who were in their early 30s. They might not be 30. I took two children to see it at a repertory theater, like a, a theater in LA that is connected to a streetwear company. <laughs> uh, we went to go brain dead studios and we saw this movie and they'd never seen it before. And it was super fun watching it with them and explaining to them that the Rick Baker horror effects in this movie were state of the art. People couldn't believe how good the werewolf effect. And they were like, this is terrible. I'm like, no, this was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's this so was serious. 1981, babies. We didn't have 1981 it. time, baby. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's very funny. It's set in 80s London, which is one of my favorite times and places. Um, and uh, Griffin Dune is he dies in the in the basically in the first 15 minutes, and then appears as a as a dead guy the whole time, and is so funny and so dry. Um, it features the world's dumbest nurse um there's they use music very well in it all of the songs have like a moon theme uh it's just so much fun and uh i really enjoy it yes absolutely agree with all of that and jack's appearances are my favorite parts uh when we first meet jack uh david is in the hospital bed and jack just you know appears gory and the first thing, it's not like your traditional horror film where it's like a jump scare. It's Jack saying, can I have some toast? <laughs> <laughs> and then and saying things that your friend would say, like, stop looking at me. You're making me feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> like he's all eviscerated, like his throat is torn out. He was like, you're making me feel bad, David. God, I thought you were your, I thought I was your best friend. Yeah, exactly. I loved their relationship and, um. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there was a lot of humor between them that I really enjoyed. Um, and that but- movie, oh, the guy who plays David, um, he he got that role because John Landis saw him in a Dr. Pepper commercial. He was the, wouldn't you like to be a Be- Pepper 2 guy, dancing and singing and selling Dr. Pepper. He lost that gig because of American Werewolf in London because they didn't, they felt like it was too gross. Uh, to sell Dr. Pepper with. But when you get to LA, 
when you get to LA and everybody says, have you got an agent? Have you got a manager? Your commercial agent, your commercial coach will tell you, you know, you can really start a career from commercials. That guy from the Dr. Pepper commercial got American Werewolf in London. And it's like, yes, but who else has done that? Like, has anyone (laughs) had a major motion picture career from doing a commercial? And the answer is not that much, but, but that was his claim to fame. 1981, a young man was in a Another, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> you Yes. I, um, and another like train spotting thing. I love British comedy and I love 80s British comedy and I love the young ones. And um, Rick Mayall, who plays Rick in the young ones, is in the Slaughtered Lamb pub scene. I thought that was him. Yes. Ah. And when I was a kid, I was watching it and I was like, that's amazing. That looks so much like Rick Mayall. It didn't even occur to me to look at the credits. And of course, we didn't even have IMDb children. But yeah, um, because John Landis was a fan of the young ones and he invited Rick Mayall and Adrian Edmondson to come out to Wales and do this scene. Um, and and he winds up being in quite quite a lot of the movie in the in the pub. And Adrian Edmondson like thought it was a joke like that they were being tricked and he just didn't show up. So um, they could have both been in it. Oh no. Oh man. That's, that is so interesting. And, you know, speaking of the slaughtered lamb, I loved the, um, it's kind of the aura of like a small town keeping its secrets, you know? And I'm curious because where did you grow up? You didn't, did, did you grow up in Portland? No, I am a Portland comic, but I'm from Texas. I am from okay. Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, did your small town have any secrets? But Dallas is quite large. So yeah. Our main secret was that the guy who was on the children's television show was the dad of Gibby Haynes, uh, our local television show, like morning show um, was the dad of Gibby Haynes from Butthole Surfers. So that was the big, Whoa, that, was the, that was the big town got, no, not really, but. That's a fun thing about Dallas. That is a fun thing. I love it. (laughs) I also, I really just appreciated that David and Jack were traveling Europe without a smartphone. Like, yeah. Wow. Like trying to, trying to read a map, doing the best they can find themselves in a small town where nothing's open and no one wants to talk to them. I really did enjoy that kind of soap opera dynamic of like, there's the one guy who thinks we should tell them. And of course the, the maternal like barmaid is like, you can't just let him go out there. I also enjoyed uh, that element of the slaughtered lamb of like the small town gossip and like, and like the soap opera thing. Like there's the one guy who's like, you know, how many times are we going to let this happen? And the barmaid is like, we can't send them out into the night. And um, everybody has a different opinion. Like some people are like, we have to protect what's ours. It's it, it it brings a whole like extra like frisson, you know, because they're not evil. Um, they just don't know how to solve the problem. You know, they've mm-hmm. been they're cursed. Yeah, exactly. And an outside entity coming to feed the wolf is probably, mm, you know, <laughs> beneficial. Not, not the for worst. Them. What is the best case scenario for them that the wolf would eat them both and not make another werewolf? That's yeah. 
Yeah. Not mixed, great. mixed success. <laughs> yeah. It did make me think a lot about like the plight of immigrants and how a lot of times like citizens of a country will use them for their cheap labor and then kind of, you know, benefit off that, but look the other way when it comes to their plight. I was like, oh yeah, that feels accurate, especially for England, a country that has, you know, with Brexit and whatnot, tried to like close off its borders and whatnot. And that's very deep and very global. What I thought about watching the movie recently was how funny, what like, when they hate the Americans, like before, you know, it's a werewolf before, you know, that there's a real secret mm-hmm. and it just seems like they hate Americans like that. I understand. But when the doctor who takes it upon himself to investigate, is there a werewolf, which is a weird thing for a doctor to, you must admit, <laughs> you um, set a day off. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and they hate him too. Cause he's a fancy pants Londoner. And mm-hmm. they're like, why don't you go out? And he's like trying to like engage people and play chess and like have a beer and be normal. And they're like, why don't you take off with your fancy auto? Get on the road. You don't belong here. I'm like, Oh, um, and that's something you learn about London or about England as well. Like that, that the rest of the country, like the northerners hate the southerners and it's just like any place else. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My sister was married to a guy from Reading. Uh, which is in the north and um, her father-in-law who had lived two hours north of London his whole life said I've never been to London I don't know why you'd want to go and so it's very much that attitude like like, what do you mean oh that's so funny people in Green Bay say that about Chicago too really yeah uh, like a year ago I was checking in for a doctor's appointment and they were doing all the intake questions to this guy next to me about like have you been out of the country in the past six weeks or whatever and this old man was like I haven't left Green Bay in 25 years (laughs) he was like proud of it and everyone around him was like you should go on a trip you you should go somewhere. You should see something. See a oh mountain, my gosh, my man. that's so funny. Yeah. Have a different kind of cheese. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird how that can become a source of pride for people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hatred makes people's brains real weird. Yeah. Um, Hatred and you- werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, I think the biggest theme in this movie is the idea of you know, the werewolf itself and being overtaken. What is the werewolf and uh, that process? What does that symbolize to you? One of my, I mean, obviously the, like the werewolf is connected to man's feral nature, right? Cause like when Jack becomes a werewolf, sorry, David, when David becomes a werewolf the day after he's like, I feel great. He was, he's super sexual. He's super rested. He's super energized, you know? And, um, I think it's, it's kind of a, a fear of our natural selves and the parts that we want to hide from ourselves. Um, the, the theme of the movie in particular that I enjoyed was the theme of fate and trying to deny your fate or escape your fate like and obviously if he'd done the right thing it wouldn't be a movie but as soon as david wakes up jack says hi you have to kill yourself 
and he's just in denial about it. Um, and then even after he thinks he has hurt people, um, he he's still resistant to the idea that he want he he needs to destroy himself. And in the end, does suicide by cop. Honestly, the biggest cop out that there is. Um, and I recently also watched Oedipus, and I watched a production of Oedipus in theater and what people get really hung up on in Oedipus is that he did kill his dad and have sex with his wife. But the important part of Oedipus to me is about fate. And he's everyone in Oedipus spends the whole play trying to escape their fate. He's born to a a parents. They find out he's going to kill you. He's going to marry their mom. So his dad says, kill him, send him away. And then when he finds out your fate is to kill your dad and marry your mom, he leaves the people he thinks are his mom and dad and goes to another town and he can't escape his fate. And so that's what this movie reminds me of. Like there's so many opportunities. And I think that's, that's a theme in horror, like man's vanity or hubris that you are told what to do a million times and don't do it. Alien. If everyone had just listened to fucking Sigourney Weaver, the whole right? thing wouldn't have happened. Yes. Just fucking, she's the, bo- why, why? But then we wouldn't have the adventure. And yeah. And, the- you know, in this film, there were so many instances where David was trying to not take accountability for his own um actions you know like there's that scene that jumps out in particular to me where he's talking to nurse price and he's talking about an old werewolf movie and how about a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him and i just think that is like such addict behavior too like (laughs) yes and it's so and it's nonsense no one has ever said that it's like in love actually where they say you tell the truth at christmas a werewolf can be killed by people who don't even like him Right. Um, exactly. Because like, they're talking about the bullets, too. And he thought it had right. to be a silver bullet and all the so dead be people a silver bullet. or the undead people laughed at him. They're like, no, you can be anything. Doesn't matter. Just do it. Um, yeah. Trying to like make excuses, like find like find reasons he can't do it. And, you know, and I understand. He's a young person. He's just beginning his life. And it's hard to say, well, it's more important to save other people than preserve myself that's a very adult thing and he wasn't able to do it um let's also talk about nurse price oh so much to talk about jesus because she's dumb she's a dumb lady (sighs) she is you know she's she makes some bad choices and like she says so many lines that are just hilarious and um you know she loves a sad boy and and, and, just, that, and part I, of that is what made her be a nurse, right? She wants to oh, rescue yeah. people. Yes. She wants to be the savior. But yes, like just it, it, take everything else aside. You've got a, admittedly a hot American and he's been horribly injured. He's been traumatized and he just keeps saying, I think my dead friend is one, visiting me and I think I'm a werewolf. And she says <laughs> he needs to be at my house. Get in my house. I've known you for what, a week? Come on. But also, you know, maybe it's about like the 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 self-denial. Like she she doesn't want to believe. She chooses to say, well, he's just had a hard time. And if he gets in my house and in my bed, everything's going to be okay. 
Yeah. But then when the when the doctor goes looking for him, she's like, he's like, she's like, do you have any idea what David has gone? Oh yeah, I saw him this morning actually. No, yeah, he's at my house. Yeah, no, he's there. <laughs> totally professional. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's totally ethical for me to take a patient that is being discharged, just take him straight to my bed. And she doesn't do it all the time. She told him, she was like, look, this is how many lovers I've had. And hardly any of them have been werewolves. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe this speaks to how bad the dating scene is in London. I don't know. <laughs> She's like, I've tried everything else. Maybe this werewolf. Um, there were no dating apps, you know, like there were no dating apps. They're doing no, you just had to pick up any kind of random American that you met. Um, that had already been, uh, uh, sexualized by the other nurse who looked at his wee willy winky. Although trivia fact, there's a joke in the, in the film about circumcision. And, um, when you see it on the big screen, you can, he is not, he is not circumcised actually. Oh, interesting. As it happens, the actor is not, um, there was a lot of surprises, seeing it on the big screen because it's like you see a movie a lot and you watch it on you know i've seen it on vhs and dvds and stuff and you think i really know every inch of this movie there's no surprises to this movie and then when you see it on the big screen it is different it is different there's so many details you can see and like in the the in the end when there's the the scene that leads up to his death and he's causing chaos all over piccadilly square and like there's just cars smashing into each other and it is very bloody and i was speaking of my own gore thing like i was surprised at how shocking that scene is uh, um even for 1981 like just yeah to see it big it, it was a different experience yeah i imagine that would be really uh amazing to see on a big screen i haven't um, I do want to jump back to Nurse uh, Price real quick because yeah. I do feel like, you know, um, as, as most of us the past few years, I've learned a bit about attachment styles mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the... Yeah, um, she's anxious. Yeah, for sure, right? And this is actually something I had to learn myself, like being in a healthy hmm. relationship kind of feels, um, you know, you miss that push-pull of like the chaos. So like you have to relearn that like a non-chaotic relationship is a good healthy healthy. right because if we're not fighting all the time and if i'm not either on cloud nine or absolutely in the dumps how do i know if you love me yeah um nurse price i yeah i get heart 100 in the right place and david is very sweet to her like they're very kind to each other in this moment but yeah she I don't, I don't know why she thought it was a, like, it's not a good idea. And and like, also it's funny watching it with adult brain, right? Adult therapy heart mm-hmm. and seeing them mm-hmm. exchange. I love yous within the, fr- I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh my God, yeah. you don't even know each other. You don't even know each other. He's mm-hmm. very sexy. He's attractive. I get it. Um, you know, she's very sexy. He's attracted to her. She's also mommy. She's oh, also yeah nurse read a mark twain book she's you know but like you guys are strangers thrown into a chaotic situation i think that david i think david might be normal and she's anxious 
Do you think that David is also anxious? I I think David is chaotic and, mm-hmm. you know, he might, I don't know. It's hard to tell because like, I just, for me, I see David as an addict and he's using Alex to, you know, kind of just uh, en- enable him, have a place to mm-hmm. live, be a, a stimulant in some way. I do think like so much of the movie, I was thinking this time about how young he is though. And like, it's like when he's calling his parents, like his eight year old sister is answering the phone. Like he is a child. Mm -hmm. And in, in like, like, because he is, you know, in the film, in an adult's body, you kind of forget that. Like for him, this is as if one of his teachers has asked to do the boinky boinky and he's very excited about it. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I forget he is not a full grown man. He's not a full grown adult man. He hasn't had a million sexual experiences. Um, This is like in, and so I do, I think I, I think I'm more forgiving of his kind of unhealthy boundaries than I am of nurse price. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause I'm like, I'm like, she should know better. She's worked with the mentally ill. She's she's worked with people who are rehabilitating. She's worked with traumatized patients. Um, and he's just like, gee, you want to see my dick? This is neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I hadn't thought about that before. You're absolutely right. Because it's like, because it's like he, yeah, he says I love you too early. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, are they love bombing each other? I just think, mm. I just think it's, I just think it's that it's that kind of like messed up um, 80s, like soup, like movie, um, super sped up. And if he hadn't been a werewolf, they might've been together forever. Like, you don't know, like maybe this was just the most romantic meeting of two people that's ever been. <laughs> and you know it would just be the david and alex story and uh uh and the next movie you meet all their kids or whatever but like yeah it was it was creepily accelerated and um and and also i feel like um that was a normal that was a normal way for a woman to behave at the time like of course she would caretake him and of course she would take him in and like overextend herself and open herself up to danger like even yeah. if he's not a werewolf, opening your house to a stranger is danger. Um, yeah. I think well, that I mean, that was much the, more normal in 1981. Yeah, in the end, she runs down that alley in front yeah. of police to to try Don't and save worry. David. Yeah, he's not going to kill me. Don't <laughs> worry. I know. I know this wolf. We're in. We love. are very close. We're in love. I want to see his naked haunches when he turns back. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. And like, why did why was that necessary? But she felt it was, and um, and then the end. Yeah. Ooh, what yeah. an end! Real quick too. Just so trivia fact: John Landis in the subway. You see a uh, a poster for the Kentucky Fried movie, which is his movie, and you also see a poster for "See You Next Tuesday." which is the porno that they wind up being, you know, watching when uh, Jack comes to visit him in Piccadilly square and all the other dead people are there. Um, But see you next Wednesday has been used in almost every John Landis film. It's uh, it's on the marquee 
in, well, Michael Jackson has it on the marquee in Thriller. Shut up, really? As, as a oh, nod, that's amazing. yeah. And it, I think it's on the marquee in Blues Brothers, and there's a billboard for it in Trading Places. But like this was just a running joke, not only inside the movie, but outside, like in all of his movies. And it was said in Space Odyssey. It wasn't a porno in that. It's just they say, "See you next Wednesday." Um, ah. and so that's where he picked it up from. Uh, I have seen there's a the the nightmare sequence where David is imagining his family being attacked by monsters which again i think is about uncontrollable urges and mm-hmm. um and like the fear of the danger that is inside of you but like the masks uh they're very like animals with like kaiser helmets uh but i've seen a couple of those in seattle at um the museum that used to be the uh experience music project and now is the pop culture museum but that was something i was pretty stoked to see um and then the the makeup designer rick baker is in one of the scary masks slitting throats and stabbing people that's fun and um the last thing that i will die if i don't get to tell you is in that scene the kids are watching a an episode of uh the muppet show and it's a senior wences episode that never actually aired in the states so people in the states thought it was a made-up episode but it's real um but miss piggy is in that scene which means that frank oz is in the movie twice because he's also the uh guy from the embassy that has a short scene where he comes and says well we let your family know you were attacked by wolves and then David wants more than that. And he's like, your kids are so unappreciative. So Frank, Frank Oz, because <laughs> and like Landis loves using Oz as a cop. He's like, he's in a cop. Uh, he's a cop in trading places. Like he, he loves using Frank Oz and loves using that voice. Um, and so he just winds up being in a lot of those movies. Oh, that's amazing. I'm also, I'm also obsessed with the film trading places, but that, I don't think that can be called a horror movie. It no. just, but it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> no is it oh no okay <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it, it genuinely is because there's a lot of it happens during christmas oh interesting um, i'll have to rewatch that one it's been many years but yeah uh but yeah michael jackson saw american werewolf in london and was obsessed in the higher like basically like pulled a lot of it for the thriller video used rick baker for the effects and and like it's kind of an homage to uh to that yeah, that makes sense. Man, I you know, I totally forgot about Thriller, but what wonderful overlap. And it it was filmed uh not far from my house. There's a street called Carroll Street, which anybody who's a movie nerd or especially a horror nerd should visit because um they can't have electric lighting. It's uh you're not allowed to have modern lighting so that it can be used for film sets. People do live there, but like but uh, the thriller house is there or the, the street part of the street where they filmed it. Um, the charmed house is there. Uh, the big Victorian that the witches lived in. Uh, there's a couple horror houses like on the same street. Anyway. Oh, I'm going to have to come visit. I mean, you're making yes. LA sound really fun. <laughs> we have fun, dude. We do. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to the, 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 the cemetery where they show the movies? I have not done Cinespia. I, 
I, I, I definitely know friends who've done it. It's, it seems like a big production to me. So I have not done it, but I, I understand it's very cool. It, it does look fun. Um, My mom and I always go for walks in cemeteries. So like, yeah. I feel like it'd be fun to see a movie together. <laughs> I have been, I have been to Hollywood forever to like see Bela Lugosi's grave and, you know, Judy Ramone and you, know, mm. you, you got, to, I, um, oh, and I, I can see the second mention of Michael Jackson and I'm not a fan of him because of the stuff, <laughs> because yeah, of the, the stuff, stuff he did, yeah. but you can see his um, mortuary from the back of my house. Wow, that's wild. When people come to visit, I point it out. I uh, I ran a picket line. Oh yeah, I ran a picket line in Gary, Indiana, for a year, and their home is there, and it is yeah. serious. I don't know how they had so many children in this home. It is like, it's the size of a garden shed. I shit you not. It is so small, but yeah. people put up photos and and like it's like a shrine now. The day the day I took my crazy Scottish friend, no. Liverpool, he's a British friend, to see Michael Jackson's grave. It was nearing Michael Jackson's birthday and people were putting pictures of him on popsicle sticks outside. And you can't go into the mausoleum. It's family only. Mm -hmm. But there was a woman doing yoga outside of it. Like we have a wild relationship with fame. Like even a disgraced celebrity is worshipped and adored and people just want to be near the dust that was once his body it's very strange wow that is i think the only celebrity death to ever wreck me was jim henson that was like oh so you're a big muppet person well i was 11 and a muppet person so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but that's the only time i ever felt like a real connection to a celeb you know mine was bowie oh yeah Yeah. that was a rough one yeah. Um I feel like for a rock star though, rock star years, he was like 200, you know. Yeah, no, 100%. And like if you're looking at Bowie in the Berlin years and you say to yourself he's going to be 69 years old, no one would have took that bet. No one would <laughs> took that. But I was I was at a comedy show and the comedy show was winding down and they had a DJ at the bar playing songs and he just kept playing Bowie songs. And I was talking to my friend, Robert, who I was actually saw him on Christmas. And he was like, oh, I like all these songs. What's with this? And I'm like, Robert, these are all David Bowie songs. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then my friend comes up and says, well, you know, he just died. Like we had just gotten the word like within a half an hour. And I said, no, you're confused. He just had a birthday. And yeah. he said, no, he just died. I'm like, no, he just released an album is why. But you shut um, your mouth. He's alive. <laughs> you shut your dirty mouth. James Fritz was the name of the comic who told me Bowie was dead. In a way, oh. I'll never forgive him. And oh. it wasn't his fault. He was but trying James to help. He's very funny. So he's very funny and very great. But I do blame him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about, James. <laughs> um, um, oh, yeah. So what is your favorite part? Favorite part? Oh, favorite part. Werewolf in London really weird reasons i love the scene well the the scene in the zoo is very funny with the kid (laughs) in the balloons um but i really love the scene in the subway where he is stalking and killing a businessman um one because i love train spotting the subway station it is the um the camden line it's the black line at totten court road which is in central london so uh, the man is going up to Camden to go home. Um, and it's so 
atmospheric and the white tile and like the loneliness of a subway station. And anytime I'm in a subway station at night, I think about it. Um, so that's probably my favorite part, but, um, a lot of it is my favorite part. Yeah. Oh, there's so many good scenes. I feel like that scene is kind of provocative too, because Mm -hmm. it's like, it's a man, but I feel like it's finally for once a man feeling what a woman feels like alone at night, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and feeling, yeah, look like why, he, he, why would he feel unsafe? He's never felt unsafe before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he abandons, and there's a, there's a humor to it too. Like when he's trying to like go up the escalator and he's like, he, like he throws open his briefcase and all his papers spill out. He has abandoned all decorum. He, he, he's doing anything he can, uh, to survive and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, and I also really like the porn theater scene. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the che- cheery couple that are just covered in blood, but just that's their nature. It's their nature to be cheery. You know, it's very funny to me. And of course, yeah. Jack is great and he's a puppet. Oh, all of it. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I say that porno theater with uh, Judith and Harry. They're my favorite as well. Just like you. So, like you could use a gun. <laughs> You could use a gun, and then yeah, and like and like yeah, it's really funny. Like all the different attitudes of the characters. It's like an improv scene, right? There's like the yeah. cheery couple, and then there's the subway guy who just hates him. You could put it in your mouth. You'd be sure not to miss. Yeah, uh, you <laughs> know, and then and. like right, and then like and and then Jack being his friend, like, hey, he's my friend. I really, I want him to die in the best way possible um it's it's incredibly weird and and incredibly funny Mm -hmm. and incredibly dark yeah i'm so glad you picked it it was fun to talk about fun to rewatch. always a good watch yeah Uh, um it's it's a good time mm -hmm. and it's john landis's favorite film of his yeah he seems like a real fun guy in many ways uh any any final thoughts on american werewolf in london i don't know why they remade it yeah, because it was perfect it. begin yeah. with. I just uh I like I do think that there's a, a relationship with comedy and horror where it's really better together because the I find that the the setup before a jump scare and the setup before a punchline is very much that same tension. Mm-hmm. And and so that's my justification for liking comedy horror films the best out of all horror films. I agree. I love comedy horror. It's a very fun, unexplored, underexplored genre, I would say. Because people think, oh, because it's funny, it can't be scary. It can be scary. Yeah. There's nothing about it that is not scary. Exactly. And also, if you think you're looking, if you think you're turning into a werewolf, the first thing you should do is look at your hands. That's what David always does. <laughs> look at your hands and see if they're becoming werewolf hands because you may not have a mirror right away, but you can that, always look at your hands. That's very true. I was just looking at my hands. I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> still not a werewolf. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a treat to talk to you about this film. Yeah. Thank you for being on. Where can people learn more about you? Like where you will be and all that fun stuff. This is a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, I have a website called Bedinia, B-A-D-I-N-I-A.com. I've been running it for pretty much 
as long as I've been a comic and it has uh, my calendar on it and future dates. I've got some San Francisco dates coming up at Sketchfest. Cool. I'm going to be stopping in uh, to Santa Cruz on my way up, um, which is a very Lost Boys place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't get lost I, on the beach. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a date at Monterey on the way down. Uh, but if you're in LA, I'm around here all the time. And if you're on TikTok, it is also Bidinia. Um, it's the world's worst handle, and I've had it for 18 years, and uh and I'm really leaning into it. So uh Bidinia is my Insta and my Twitter and my TikTok and everything everywhere is Bidinia. Awesome. And that's me, Virginia Jones. Yay. Thank you so much for doing the pod. I, uh, you know, I was internet sleuthing on you and I noticed you're on a show about the 50 worst jokes of the year. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. like, what is, what is your joke? This will come out after the show. Okay. Great curious, question. I don't know because I need to go through, <laughs> I need to go through my, I have a document that has every joke that I write. And like, I just have to find something that I did and didn't work. Do worst jokes is a super fun uh, time to examine things you did during the year that didn't work. And what I like about it is like, sometimes like there's jokes that I think are really funny that they just never worked. And I don't know why. So it's a nice place to uh, just let them all, let them all go and let them be at peace. And also because there are 50 comics on it, it's a great place to like see people. And it's always kind of like a nice post holiday hang before the end of the year. Yeah. That sounds super fun. I hope you have a great time. Thank you for asking me to be on your podcast. I enjoyed it very much. For sure. Well, that's been Bloody Mary and Virginia Jones. I've been Kristen Lighty. Have a good night.